Should Nuno Tavares continue at left-back in the absence of Kieran Tierney? We're going to be discussing the Portuguese fullback as well as Unai Emery's recent comments on the mighty Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing Nuno Tavares. Should the Portuguese fullback continue at left back after a really dodgy performance, let's be honest, at Crystal Palace uh, just a few nights ago? Should Mikel Arteta be looking to plug the whole left by Kieran Tierney's injury in another way. Should he get creative in terms of the formation? We kind of discussed this yesterday, but I wanted to go in and on a little bit more detail on Nuno Tavares and back up my reasons as to why I think that actually Mikel Arteta will probably be better off sticking with the former Benfica man. So we're going to get into that today. We're also going to be discussing some of Unai Emery's comments in a recent interview he gave to The Athletic, in which he claimed that Mikel Arteta has had much more patience from the fan base than he got. Um, didn't sound bitter at all, uh, old Unai Emery, but he was speaking, of course, ahead of Villarreal's Champions League quarterfinal first leg with Bayern Munich, which takes place uh, in a few hours' time. So we're going to get into all of that on the show. We're also going to be taking your thoughts from the chat, as well as, uh, of course, some of your questions towards the back end of the show. Uh, without further ado, let's get into it. OK, Nuno Tavares. Look, he was awful. He was awful on Monday night, but he wasn't the only one. That's the kind of real important point that I want to drum home here, because it's really easy to kind of single out individual players. But I think it should never be when we turn in a performance like that as a team lost on us how bad the entire kind of unit was because they were all awful. Every single one of those Arsenal players, as I said the other day, maybe with the exception of Cedric, had a stinker and deserves all the criticism that has subsequently come their way. Nuno Tavares, obviously, um, had come into the team after a really long time. He hadn't had much game time of late. Kieran Tierney's been the go-to. Kieran Tierney has uh, been very solid, uh, very consistent in his performances throughout his Arsenal time, uh, to be fair. He's been he's been brilliant, OK? So he was always going to be the first choice left back. And I think every single one of us would look at Kieran Tierney, look at Nuno Tavares and decide that, there's only one player that needs to be selected out of those two or that should be selected out of those two. So lots and lots of, um, you know, I, I think agreement among the Arsenal fan base that Kieran Tierney is the go-to left back. I've heard the argument that Mikel Arteta is wrong in that he hasn't given Nuno game time and that we were always going to come to a point and a time where we were going to need to use some of these fringe players. And by not keeping them match sharp and not keeping them match fit, Mikel Arteta had made a mistake and had mismanaged them. And I think, with the greatest of respect, that is absolute bollocks. Because the only reason Arsenal are in the position they're in is because we've actually been quite lucky when it comes to injuries at the back. We've managed to keep most of our back four and the goalkeeper fit for most of the season. OK, we lost Aaron Ramsdale a few weeks ago and OK, Tommy Yasu hasn't been available all that much. But Kieran Tierney uh, has been 
consistent for a while in terms of his fitness. Uh, we know that he's historically had issues, but you have to say in the last few months, he's done quite well to kind of steer clear of those. You look at Ben White and Gabriel, they've been a really sort of consistent pairing in the middle of the defence. And Aaron Ramsdale uh, has, I think, added brilliantly to that. Cedric has come in in the last few weeks and I think done very, very well as well. So we have to say that for the most part this season, we've had a settled back four, maybe with the exception of one player here and there. And what that's done is it's allowed them to develop a relationship. It's allowed them to become more cohesive. It's allowed them to gain greater understanding of one another's games. And it's put us in a place where we now have players um, who come into that side, know one another inside out and understand exactly what their jobs are. Now, obviously, if your best players are fit and available and you're only in one competition like we are, the Premier League, then you're going to pick them. I don't think that that's something that you can throw at Mikel Arteta as a criticism. What manager takes unnecessary risks? The very nature of rotation is is something that you you feel you need to do in order to keep your team fresh um, and, and at its peak going into some of the biggest games. And all the best managers do it. They prioritise certain competitions and certain games, depending on how their season's panning out, depending on the strength of their opponent, and they rotate accordingly. But in Mikel Arteta and Arsenal's case, in one competition, there's no need for that. If everybody's fit, everybody's available, you pick the best team. And, and it's as simple as that. Now, Nuno came in and his sort of substitution on Monday, I don't think would have been blown up half as much had it not happened in January in the FA Cup third round at Nottingham Forest. Now, because it happened then, he was hooked off really early and there was a lot made of that and he seemed to uh, show a little bit of dissent as he walked off of the pitch. There was this big thing about whether Nuno Tavares and Mikel Arteta had fallen out and whether uh, Nuno Tavares had felt so humiliated by that that he was then going to suffer from it later on. And I get it. You know, I get it. I get that people want to make a story out of something like that. Me, personally, my reaction to it at the time was, well, he was awful and he needed to come off. Um, we went on to lose the game anyway, but he was really, really bad that day. He was he was as bad as he's probably ever been in an Arsenal shirt, worse than he was on Monday. But my opinion of it was, well, if he didn't show any sort of frustration or anger or disappointment at being taken off, then does he even care? You know, I don't think that players kind of bubbling over in terms of their emotions is always a bad thing. It can look bad and it can start the tongues wagging the way um, that, you know, that they have been in the last few days about a player and his future and what this means for him going forward. But I think ultimately to see a player show a bit of passion, a bit of fight and a bit of anger, partly Mikel Arteta, but partly himself as well, because he would have known better than anybody that that performance wasn't up to scratch. I don't think it's always a bad thing. So then this long period of time has passed and Arsenal end up in a place where Nuno Tavares um, is being thrust into action at Crystal Palace and being asked to play um, as a left-back in a slightly different system to the one we were playing when he first had a run of games in the team. If you think back to that run of games he had a little bit earlier in the season, there were a few games where he was really good. Newcastle at home, I thought it was very good. Uh, Leicester away, just to come up with a couple off the top of my head. But if you think about it then, it was very much Arsenal with a double midfield pivot, whether that was dependent on injuries at the time. I can't remember exactly, but whether it was Lokonga and Xhaka or Lokonga and Partey at times, he was 
um, very, very effective, Nuno. And he was effective because we had that set up around him that allowed him to be effective, that allowed him essentially to do the things that Nuno Tavares wants to do and thrives in doing. Nuno Tavares, is he a, a sort of um, a, a defensive fullback? Is he the type of fullback that can tuck in like Kieran Tierney, be quite close to his centre-backs um, and, and sort of be very disciplined in his positioning? No, that's not his game. His strength is in picking up the ball, carrying it up the pitch, getting you up the pitch quickly. His power, his pace, his presence, his unpredictability is something that I always talk about. The fact that he can chop inside, he can also go on the outside. He's got plenty of confidence or had plenty of confidence in terms of the way he's happy to take on shots from ridiculous distances, uh, the way he's happy to take people on and the way he's happy to take risks with the ball at his feet. So, he showed himself to be very, very confident. And I think he he looked really good at that point because, as I say, I felt like we had the setup to give us that little bit of added security, which meant that he could do that. And we would normally, nine out of ten times, be able to cover the spaces that he leaves. Obviously, since his last stint in the team, things have changed dramatically. And we've ended up with Thomas Partey normally being the one-man sort of defensive midfield anchor uh, with Granit Xhaka pushing that a little bit further up the pitch on the left and with Martin Odegaard doing the same on the right. So his role on Monday night had to be slightly different to the role that he was playing when he first came in. Now, I'm not making excuses for him. I was one of the first people to say after the game that he was awful. I, I said it on my post-match reaction show. I said it in the watch-along that I did. Um, I said it, you know, in everything I've done since that game, because he was bad. He was really bad. I don't think that Gabriel next to him was was particularly good either. I thought he had a stinker as well. And I think because of sort of the credit he may have built up in the bank over recent times, less people wanted to really go in on him. Uh, obviously, there was a bit of sympathy there as well from some because of the fact that he's just become a father. Those of us who have been there know what it's like those first few weeks. It's hard. You're, you're without sleep. It's very, very difficult. Um, but I think that Nuno had to come in and do a slightly different job. And I don't think he adapted to doing that job. And I don't think he really understood what that role entailed. How long before that game did we know, and I'm talking about internally, the club, not me or you, that Kieran Tierney was going to be out? Because us as fans and onlookers and people who cover the club, we had no idea that Kieran Tierney was going to be unavailable for that game until an hour before when the team news came out. Did Kieran Tierney's injury uh, get flagged earlier on? Were the club aware of that? In which case, maybe they had a few days to kind of get Nuno up to speed. I don't know. Um, but it felt to me like he came into the side wanting to play a role that he had played previously, but having to play a role that was very different and one that he probably didn't quite understand. Now, we got an injury update from the club yesterday. That's uh, Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to this a little bit later on. We got an injury update on Tuesday from the club, which told us that Kieran Tierney is going to be out for the rest of the season. Also told us that Thomas Partey has been assessed ahead of the game against Brighton. Uh, but that, of course, uh, it, you know, some of the reports that came out, sorry, off the back of that suggested that Brighton was going to come too soon for Thomas Partey, which I think is probably going to be the case. Uh, we also had an update on Tommy Asu as well, who isn't going to be back in training even until after the Southampton away game. So, 
we know that we've got to find a way of plugging these holes in the interim. We know that we've got some really crucial and important games coming up. The result on Monday night, what has that done? Well, it has um, increased the pressure on us and increased the need to not slip up in games such as Brighton at home, uh, which you feel if we're going to make the top four has to be a three points. Um, it has to be a game that we take maximum points from. And I just look at the rest of the team and I look at the balance that we finally found this season in that team. And I am worried and I am scared of undoing other things and imbalancing other areas because we're maybe overthinking the left back position too much. Had Tommy Asu been in the side, had Tommy Asu been available, and there wasn't that doubt about Cedric that a lot of Arsenal fans have, despite him playing very well, myself included. Um, I think more people would be open to the idea of saying, look, Nuno, get your head down and um, and let's work hard during the week and let's get you back up to speed and let's get you um, let's get you back in the side and, and you can show us what you can do. I think the fact that Tommy Asu is out at this moment in time makes people feel uneasy about the idea of playing two fullbacks who are not the first choice fullbacks. And I completely understand that. I do. But then you're talking, if you're going to change the formation, if you're going to put Cedric out there, if you, you're talking about then disrupting, as I say, other areas of the team. And I always think, and as I said to you guys yesterday, my philosophy is very much that you should, if you find a way that works in a system that works in a system that people have learned and people understand and people feel um, they can buy into, then you should protect that at all costs. And you should do your utmost to ensure that the change you need to make in order to deal with an injury um, like Kieran Tierney's has as little effect on the overall team and causes as little disruption as possible. I think that's so, so important. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my view on it. And I think given that Partey is probably going to be unavailable against Brighton, I think it would be sensible to slightly adapt the midfield. I know I said that I don't want to have change all over the park, but I think if it's Shaka and Lokonga, I think that changes things. I think we, we need to be a little bit more conservative in the way we position our midfield. And that might mean a Xhaka or a Lokonga tucking in slightly left of centre and protecting the spaces that Lokonga got exposed in on uh, on Monday night. In which case, theoretically, that should create the environment for Nuno Tavares to go on and play the game that he wants to play, the game in which he feels most comfortable and the game in which he can have the most impact. We're at home to Brighton, who are a useful side with the ball at their feet. We all know that. We've all seen them up close. We've come unstuck against them a few times in recent seasons. We know exactly what Brighton are all about. But what I would say is looking at their current form, looking at the fact that they're probably going to come out and play us and they're probably going to leave spaces in behind. I don't think on paper there's a better fixture barring maybe Norwich in the Premier League right now for Mikel Arteta to look at Nuno and say, come on, mate, head up, chin up, going to put you back in. Go out there and prove people wrong. Get your confidence back. Give yourself a boost. I'll give you plenty of pats on the back if you do the job, etc., etc. Because you are now, my friend, going to be key to Arsenal achieving a top four finish. Uh, you're going to be key in Arsenal trying to achieve their aspirations and goals between now and the end of the season. So in theory, as I say, there isn't a better game to put Nuno Tavares in, in his current state, than Brighton at home. 
I'm not saying Brighton will be easy. I'm not being disrespectful to Brighton, but it's a game I expect us to dominate possession in. It's a game I expect us to be able to bomb at least one of our fullbacks on in regularly. And I think that this is the kind of game that might suit Nuno Tavares and the kind of game that, um, you know, he could potentially rebuild his confidence in. Now, I'm not saying, um, you know, I'm not saying that Nuno Tavares should play at left back every single week now between now and the end of the season, because if he has a stinker against Brighton, then I'd obviously have to rethink that. But right now, at this moment in time, I think just given the circumstances, given the game that we're playing, given uh, the, the limited options we have available, given that Tommy Asu's still out of the side, which means Cedric is required at right back, given that we're probably going to be without Thomas Partey as well, I just think putting someone who, who plays there naturally is is the, the most sensible thing to do, given the circumstances. And I've thought about this for a couple of days. I've slept on it a couple of times. I've sort of racked my brain as to how else we could potentially deal with this problem. I've heard things like Saka going at left back, left wing back. I don't want to see that. Um, it takes away from our attack. I've heard people talk about us going back to a back three. A lot of the time we do play with a back three when we've got the ball anyway. A lot of the time you do see one of the fullbacks push on and the other one tuck in and we squeeze right up the pitch and it is a back three anyway at times. So I think that this is the way to go. I think Nuno could step into that midfield if Cedric is a little bit more conservative, um, as we saw him do earlier on in the season to really, really good effect. He's got the physical presence to do it. He's got uh, the engine to get up and down the pitch. He can impact games. Um, in the final third as well. I'm not saying, and, and everybody's kind of talking in the in the chat, um, you know, Afsar says uh, all PL games are difficult um, nowadays. Creambone says no, no easy games in the Prem. No, there isn't any easy games in the Prem. Um, exactly, peeps, no easy games, so calmness is key. There aren't any, um, there aren't any easy games in the Premier League. That's not what I'm saying, and I maybe came across in the wrong way. I said I wasn't being disrespectful to Brighton and I really am not. The point I'm making is that on paper, if you look at the fixtures we've got coming up, I mean, you don't want to throw him in uh, in his current state away at Chelsea. You don't want to do it away at Spurs. You don't want to do it at home to United. You don't want to do it at Southampton. You don't want to do it at Newcastle. This feels like one of those games where if you are going to take that risk of putting him back in and hoping that he can rediscover his form, this is the time to do it. Um, you're not changing the entire team. You're, you're playing a left-back because your left-back is injured. It's not a wild decision for Mikel Arteta to make. So I think that he's best off sticking with Nuno, seeing how he does. Hopefully he has a good game. Hopefully he can build his confidence back up. Because I don't think we can say that he's an awful player based on the last couple of performances. I think we all saw earlier on in the season that he can be used to good effect. And when he's confident... And when he's, um, you know, happy and getting up and down that pitch, he can be as effective as anybody. And there were a lot of us at the time who were saying Kieran Tierney probably shouldn't come back into the side right away because of how well he had done. So he's proven he can do it over a handful of games. We just need him uh, to get that confidence back. And I think the only way the manager um, can get that out of him is to put faith in him, take a bit of a risk, hope that that faith will be repaid, hope that the fact that he's going to be selected, if he is selected, will give him that boost. That You know, if you are going to select him, you tell him early in the week. You know, you don't tell him on Friday night, Nuno, you're playing. 
you tell him on Wednesday, you tell him on Tuesday so that he knows and he's focused and he understands that despite being hooked off at half time the other night, Mikel Arteta, the boss, still has faith in him. He needs that. Some players, by their very nature, need somebody to put their arm around them from time to time and make them feel good about themselves. Some people can drive that kind of positivity up themselves. Some people have such solid confidence that it's very difficult to break it. Others, their confidence is a little bit more fragile and they struggle to uh, to sort of build that back up themselves. But hearing good things, being uh, having sort of trust and faith put in you can often help in rebuilding that. So I think if I was Arteta and I was dealing with this situation, I would look at Nuno. I would have thought about it maybe for a day or two. I would have gone through all the different options, spoken to my coaching staff, tried to work out what the best solution is, not just for the left-back position, but for the entire team. Make sure you consider the impacts on chopping and changing different positions and systems. Make sure you consider the impact that has on the wider group. And then if I made that decision, if I decided that Nuno is the man I'm going to go with, I would have told him, as I say, early in the week, Give him that confidence straight away. Let him know that you're trusting in him. Let him know that you believe in him. I do all of that right away. And, and hopefully that will lead to him being more focused. Um, spend a bit more time with him on the training ground around what it is that that role requires, um, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, that's that's the way I'd handle it. Okay, uh, so that's the bit on Nuno Tavares. Uh, let me know your thoughts on the situation. Um, would you play him at left back at the weekend against Brighton and Hove Albion? I'm going to take a short pause. I'll go through some of your responses and talk Unai Emery just after the break. Okay, welcome back to part two of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying uh, on Nuno, Tav Nuno Tavares. Uh, Sophocles says that the reason he was taken off at Nottingham Forest was because we all saw he was having a stinker. But what really triggered Arteta was when he lost the ball and didn't try and win it back. Yeah, interesting. Um, Steve Stone agrees with me that, that, yeah, there are no easy games in the Premier League, but Brighton at home is a kinder fixture for Nuno than, than most agreed. Um, but let's see what else we've got. SJ Chan says we can't really, I beg your pardon, we can't rely on one player in any position. That's probably at the moment, as the squad is so thin, stupid place Arteta got us into, no backup striker to Oba, um, and it could cost him now. Uh, what else have we got? Ram says Tavares wants to play like Robertson, but he must remember that Robertson took a year to become comfortable with his position. Um, essential departure refers to Kieran Tierney and says, honestly, nothing against Tierney, but his injuries are plaguing us. Uh, Trevor Gorman says, you should have looked at my chat at the beginning, Harry. Um, I missed it. I beg your pardon. Let uh, pop it back in there and I'll pick it up if I if I can. Um, Tom Soma says Nuno was nursing an injury during the international break, by the way. Um, interesting. I, I've, I've seen reports and, and stuff about that, uh, but I haven't had that confirmed. But yeah, obviously that is a factor as well. Uh, what else have we got? Um, it's pretty much all that isn't sort of stuff we've already been over with regards to Nuno Tavares. Um, so yeah, uh, Pini Ween on, on Tierney, 50 million for Madrid from Madrid, I beg your pardon, looking good now. Um, I, I don't think that Tierney's going anywhere. I don't think that Real Madrid have 50 million at the moment, especially if they're going to go big on Mbappe to make a signing like that. Uh, Sam Tresida says that Nuno plays for me. 
the team needs to be set up to accommodate and move to a back three when he bombs up the pitch. Agreed. He said, I'd honestly take Cedric and have Ben White at right back with holding at right centre back. See, I agree with most of that, mate. Um, I agree with most of that, but I'm I don't want to break up the um I don't want to break up the the White and Gabriel pairing in the middle because I think that's important. And and it goes back to what I was saying. And again, some people might disagree, but I just think that if you make too many changes, you can disrupt the rhythm even more and you can disrupt the kind of cohesion that we've spent most of the season building up until now. So I get it and I understand. And you're not the only one that thinks that, mate. Um, but for me, it's um, I, it's not something I would do personally, but that's obviously just uh, my vision. Uh, Said Abdullah says, I don't know about Xhaka or Saka at left back. I'd keep Tavares in and help him to get some confidence to play well. We need Saka to attack, really. That's his best position. Completely agree. Uh, with that. Uh, Henry Guna says we should have a lot more of the ball, so definitely keep Nuno. Arteta done the boy a favour by taking him off, although to be fair, he could have took anyone off. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of players, uh, as I said, that were completely um, under par at Crystal Palace on Monday night, and that should not be overlooked, not for a second. OK, we're going to discuss uh, some comments from our former Arsenal boss, I beg your pardon, Unai Emery, who takes charge of Villarreal in their UEFA Champions League quarterfinal first leg with Bayern Munich this evening. Uh, Unai Emery gave an interview to The Athletic in which he said that the Arsenal fans um, have given Mikel Arteta, and I'm paraphrasing now, I'm sure you can find the full quote online, but he said that Mikel Arteta has been given much more the patience the fans have had much more patience with Mikel Arteta than Unai Emery. Now, I wasn't Unai Emery's biggest fan. Those of you who have been following the show or listening to the podcast since those days will know that. You'll know that, for me, it was pretty obvious pretty early that with Unai Emery, we weren't going in any sort of direction and everything was just kind of all over the place. I've also said repeatedly that that wasn't just down to Unai Emery. The whole hierarchy at the club at the time was a mess. Um... We ended up with uh, Sven Mislintat coming in, chief scout, supposedly going to be the guy behind signing players who identified a number of players. Those players came in, but they weren't the players that Unai Emery wanted, as we've since learned. We had uh, we had a period where we had Raul Sanley, uh, a former Barcelona director, calling the shots, doing deals for big, vast amounts of money that clearly uh, were deals in which we overpaid, um, you know, Saliba, might go on to be a great centre-back, but we overpaid for him at the time, £27 million, yet to play a game for us. Uh, of course, Nicolas Pepe, another good player, but not somebody worth £72 million or anything near it. But we did all of those deals. We gave players big contracts. And it just felt at the time that, aside from Unai Emery, let's park Unai Emery for a second, the whole structure at the club was a mess. And there was a lot of change behind the scenes at that very sort of period in time. Um, and during Unai Emery's time. So, as I've repeatedly said, I don't think Unai Emery was the right man. I don't think Unai Emery is a league manager. I think when you look at Unai Emery's teams in years gone by, they are cup teams. They are teams who thrive in cup competitions because in one-off games, tactically, he's able to get results. He's able to nullify opponents. He's a very astute tactician. But when it comes to finding consistency and over a 38-game season or wherever it may be, he's never been particularly good at that. And you look at his Villarreal side now, who are, what, seventh, eighth in the Liga, nowhere near the top four. Um, and this is the Europa League champions. 
you you start to see that yes, they are a decent side and he's done a decent job, but it is very much cup competitions he thrives and in the league he's a little bit under par. What I would say about this, and, and Unai Emery, I think, was was right to point out that there's been more patience around Mikel Arteta. And I can only speak for myself, right? I don't know how every single Arsenal fan out there is feeling. For me, there has been more patience with Mikel Arteta because I felt from the very outset that Mikel Arteta was doing the right things in terms of changing this team and changing this club around and changing this culture properly. Now, Emery, I believe, was brought in, and I've said this before, to come in and to take a team that were not a million miles off of the top four and bridge that gap between falling short and being there with his experience. And given we were in the Europa League with his ability to get results in that competition. Now, Unai Emery had one full season with the Arsenal in which he took us to the Europa League final which we lost to Chelsea. And in his second season, we got knocked out. Um, well, we we ended up getting knocked out by uh, by Olympiacos, I think it was. But of course, um, we'd lost it. I think it was, was it Frankfurt that came to Emirates Stadium? I'm just trying to remember. It feels like a million years ago. But yeah, we lost it. We, we got, we put in a really poor performance at home. Um, I think it was Eintracht Frankfurt. I, rem- I, was, I was in the press box that night. And I remember going to the press conference after and he looked really downbeat and really sort of defeated and beaten. And and it was clear a little while before that that it wasn't really going well for Unai Emery. We'd, we'd had this decent season domestic in the league, sorry. Uh, we got to the Europa League final and then we unraveled in the race for the top four at the end of the season in the last sort of seven, eight weeks. We then obviously lost in the Europa League final and it all ended on a bit of a downer and he was just never really able to pick us back up after that. And when we started the next season, not too well, then, of course, the knives came out and the patience had gone. And the patience had gone, I think, because people were seeing that the club as a whole had no plan, had no direction, had no idea, no understanding of what needed to happen in order for us to get back to where we needed to be. And I think after Unai Emery left, there was a kind of period of self-reflection uh, around the club, where it was decided that whoever comes in next has to be a long-term project. Can't be a guy that we're bringing in on a two-year contract because we think that his experience will get us over the line in the short term. It had to be a long-term appointment and someone who was willing to come in and do all the heavy lifting, uh, rip out what was there, be strong enough mentally and culturally in terms of what he was bringing to the club to do that and oversee that. And the club in sort of response to that, we're going to back off a little bit, give him the time, give him the, the support that he wanted because they'd obviously believed in Mikel Arteta's vision. I think a lot of Arsenal fans recognised that when Mikel Arteta came in, it was with the idea of this being a long-term thing. And we'd fallen so far by that point. I think everybody went, you know what? This does need ripping out. It does need starting again. I mean, if you think about some of the players that we brought in during Unai Emery's era, and again, let me be clear, I'm not blaming Unai Emery for this. I know that he had limited sort of control over those dealings. And that was one of his problems at the club. But if you think about Socrates, not a great signing, was it? You know, Licksteiner, bad signing. When you think about uh, Lucas Torreira, we brought him into the club 
it became very clear very quickly that Lucas Torreira was unhappy with life in London, that Lucas Torreira didn't want to be here. Matteo Genduzzi, attitude absolutely stunk. And when you think about all the players that we sort of brought in around that period of time, none of them were ever going to be long-term solutions. And that backs up my point that those calling the shots at Arsenal Football Club at that point were just trying to plug holes um, and were just trying to get us over the line in the short term. Mikel Arteta's appointment signified the change in strategy and understanding a period of self-reflection that led to the club deciding that actually we're going to have to go through some pain, but we really do need to rip this out and start it all over again. And, um, you know, to be fair, I think that there's still a long way to go. But if we were to finish in the top four this season, they'd have been vindicated in making that decision. There's no doubt about that. Even if we finish fifth and have shown significant improvement, we'd have been doing it with a group of players that we all believe can be Arsenal players for the future. White and Gabriel are centre-half. Saliba potentially to come back. Tommy Asu is the right back. You know, Tierney, if he can stay fit as a long-term left back, with the likes of Lokonga, Partey in the midfield, players that people want to see stay at the club for a number of years. The likes of Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Saka. OK, we need to bring in a striker, uh, Martinelli. But what, we, what we're doing now is we're doing it in the right way. And that might not breed... Um, you know, that might not breed success right away, but we are building the foundations. And, and and the reason Arteta has got much more patience from a lot of the fans is because people can see that at the very least, the plan and structure and the idea is there. And again, I'll go back to Unai Emery, who obviously feels that he didn't get a fair crack of the whip. When he was at the club, the club were not building foundations. The club were not moving in the right direction. The club were trying desperately to claw back into the Champions League by patching things up. A bit like Manchester United have done over the last few years. Keep changing managers, keep bringing them in, spend a bit of money here and there, hope that that will get you over the line, but never actually plan for the future and then end up in a position where you're stuck with a lot of players who aren't fit for purpose on huge astronomical contracts and put yourself up shit street. Man United are a prime example of a club who have failed to recognise for a number of years now that actually what they need is a complete and utter rebuild. Tottenham Hotspur, to a degree as well, need that rebuild. Tottenham Hotspur appointed Jose Mourinho because they thought his experience would be that defining factor and would get them over the line. They then appointed Antonio Conte. And Antonio Conte might get them over the line because of his brilliance as a coach. He's a fantastic coach. But that doesn't change the fact that players like Eric Dyer, players like Harry Winks, players like um, Emerson Royale, like a lot of those players are not good enough, never have been good enough. And if Tottenham want to, to breed sustained success, they need a rebuild too. Arsenal have recognised that and have done that. And the fans have understood that. The sensible fans out there have understood that this is to a degree, and you might not agree with every single footballing decision. I don't agree with every single footballing decision. I'm not saying you have to. What I am saying is that you, if you can see a plan and you can understand the methodology, you're more likely to give it time. If you think the methodology of something is right, you're more likely to be patient around results. But if you can't see the methodology, there is no methodology and you don't really understand the direction of travel, then it's harder to get on board with something. And again, I'll make this point for the final time. 
That doesn't mean that it's all on Unai Emery. It wasn't all on Unai Emery. As I said, he went to the board and asked for Wilfred Zaha. They gave him Nicolas Pepe. He went to the board and asked for Steven and Zonzi and they gave him Lucas Torreira. So it wasn't all at Unai Emery's door. I completely, you know, believe that. But there was no strategy being implemented within the entire club at that point. And that's why fans lost their patience quicker. A lot of fans were, I think, feeling a little bit shit about the way the Wenger era ended. I did. And I wasn't looking at Unai Emery and thinking, well, you're going to come in and fill those boots. I was looking at Unai Emery and thinking, you might win us the Europa League, mate. Get us back in the Champions League and then you'll be on your bike. That's all that appointment ever was. And that's why people didn't have patience with him when it started to go south. So interesting that Unai Emery says that and feels like that. And I don't have any problem with Unai Emery. I was delighted for him when he won the Europa League last season. It just wasn't the right fit at the right time. And and perhaps had the structure at Arsenal Football Club been more efficient, been better, been stronger during those those days and during those times, maybe uh, he'd have still been here and maybe he'd have got to do a better job. But it is what it is. Okay, um, let's uh, let's take some of your questions from the live chat for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the show. Fill up the chat box. Uh, please do uh, let me know what you want to ask about uh, going into the last bit of the show. Uh, we are going to just quickly remind you of our partnership with the good people over at Football Prizes. Now, one of you guys in this chat won the Dennis Burkamp shirt on football prizes. What a prize that is. What an absolute result. Uh, so I'm glad it was one of our listeners that got it. Uh, please let me know in the chat. I did see someone comment it earlier, but it's obviously gone because the chat's been updating and I missed it. So let me know. Was it you that won the, the Dennis Burkamp uh, shirt? I want I want to give you a shout out uh, on the show. So, Or if anybody else in the chat knows who it was, let me know uh, so I can give them a shout out. But there is another prize up for grabs over at Football Prizes. There's a Patrick Vieira signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt. And there are 13 instant prizes uh, that you can win as well with this entry. Tickets cost just £3.95. 199 tickets are available. And the competition, of course, ends on Thursday, the 7th of April. So you've just got uh, one more day, pretty much. What I would say, though, is if you are interested in this, then please do head over there and get involved now because 148 of the 199 tickets have already been sold. So there's a good chance that if you delay too long, you might miss out entirely. But the prize up for grabs is a Patrick Vieira signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt. And there are 13 instant win prizes available. So do head over. The link is in the description. Um, And uh, yeah, if anybody wins that one, let me know. Uh, It would be great uh, if it was one of our guys for sure. Okay, I'm going to get some of your questions in in just a second as well. Uh, But before we uh, do that, going to take another brief pause. Okay, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Let's do a little bit of Q&A. Also, before I dive into the Q&A, by the way, um, I just want to say if you haven't checked it out. So the other day I had the absolute pleasure. And those of you who sort of follow kind of football journos and stuff will know exactly who this guy is. Had the absolute pleasure um, of... uh, of chatting to Andy Brassel, European football expert. You probably heard him on the Totally Football Show. Um, you probably heard him on Talk Sport. You probably heard him on uh, 
uh, what else? Uh, the football ramble on the on the continent show. He was on that for a long time as well. He's just a brilliant, brilliant guy with an incredible knowledge of European football. And that was on a podcast for Bet Rivers, who are a, a, a North American uh, sports bookmaker. Now, Bet Rivers um, are really ramping it up in terms of the content they're putting out, and we're doing a live Champions League betcast this evening on the Bet Rivers YouTube channel. So, what that entails is me hosting me talking you through the game, but being joined by a betting expert, and that is Nigel Seeley. And it's fascinating to see how a a professional gambler sort of looks at Champions League football as it's unfolding and bets in play. It's really, really interesting. We have a bit of a laugh as well along the way. Um, The link will be on my Twitter a little bit later on. Uh, So if you're interested in joining us, it's kind of like a watch along for the uh, games tonight, then please do come over. It's going to be great fun. Um, And if you want to catch the preview, which featured Andy Brassel, you can find the link on my Twitter as well. So please do check that out as well. It's it's really enjoyable stuff. And I think um, you'll like it if you're a fan of the Champions League. And if you do like a little bit of a flutter here and there as well. Uh, Okay, let's go over uh, to the chat box. Let's take a few of your questions. Uh, Creambone says, Harry, if you were Arteta, what would you say to the team going into the Brighton game? Um, I think my message would kind of be along the lines of, it's a difficult one, right? Because on the one hand, you kind of want to really drum home what an opportunity this is for Arsenal to get back into the Champions League. But by that same token, when you're dealing with young players who are perhaps still a little bit fragile mentally, who may be, and I'm not saying that, that to be horrible. I mean, in general, younger players are not as experienced. They haven't experienced the ups and downs of a seasoned pro. I think you've got to be careful of not applying too much pressure. But I'd say, look, everybody was talking about us sort of last week has nailed on for the top four. We lost one game, picked up 15 points from 18 on the road available, which shows that we're really progressing. We've already amassed 13 points more this season than we had at this stage last season. Um, There has been a huge improvement. I would challenge them to go on and prove people wrong. I would challenge them to go out on Saturday and shut the people up who have been putting stupid clickbait headlines like Arsenal season is crumbling and all that crap that we've seen going around on the internet uh, in the aftermath of that game. So if it was me, that would be my message. It would be go out and prove people wrong. Go out and get us back on track. Go out, silence the doubters and go out. And make sure that whatever happens come the end of the season, whether we miss out on the top four or not, that you don't have any regrets, that you don't look back and think we didn't give our all. That would be my message. Give your all and whatever happens is going to happen. We take it week by week. But as long as the effort's there, then um, then, then we've got a really, really good chance. So that's that would be kind of my overriding message to the players going into that game. A uh, big shout out to Peter V who won the Burkamp shirt. Well done, mate. Congratulations. Uh, you'll have to send us a picture when you've got it up on the wall. Um, so congratulations, mate. Uh, really, really uh, happy for you and uh, a little bit jealous of you. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Essential Departure says, um, who do you actually think Arteta will start at left back? And do you think he'll go to a back three? I've got to be honest, I don't know. Um it's hard, isn't it, to kind of gauge how Mikel Arteta is feeling. I think earlier on in his managerial tenure, I think he was a little bit knee-jerk in the way he sort of reacted in post-match press conferences. I think he was struggling to keep a lid on on certain emotions. And I think what he's got better at in recent months is, is being more calm and calculated and composed. And a big part of being an elite-level manager, or being at the top end of football, is to, to be composed 
uh, when it really, really matters. So um, I think he probably will go with Nuno. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. I'll be surprised if he decides to dismantle the team um, in other ways to kind of accommodate. So I think he probably will go for Nuno. I'm a little bit more confident in that now than I would have been maybe six months ago, just because I think he's become a little bit more rational in the way he deals with situations, whereas he'd explode, he'd call out players before. And, and I think sometimes that can have a negative uh, effect. Afsar says, is it time to drop lacquer? Not for me, um, just because, again, lack of an alternative. What is the alternative? Don't tell me Eddie and Ketia, because I don't want to see him in the starting lineup. Um, Martinelli, not for me. Uh, not through the middle. I think he's much more effective from the left. Um, again, as I said on the post-match, sort of, or it wasn't on the post-match, I think it was on the show that we did the, the following day. I think I said something along the lines of, uh, I think Mike said something along the lines of, I beg your pardon, that even with Lacazette being so poor, he was at the centre of the two best chances we created. And I think it's really, really important that, again, when we talk about individual performances and you can moan about Lacazette and that sort of opinion of Lacazette has sort of been building over the last few weeks when he's not been scoring goals, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody was shit on, on Monday night. So I wouldn't really factor Monday night's performance into my thinking. If you think he should be dropped in general and you thought that before the Palace game, then fine. I disagree, but it's a fair opinion. But I wouldn't be knee-jerk on the back of a performance in which everybody uh, was well below par. Uh, Tom says, are you from Enfield? Yes, I, I'm not from Enfield, but I live in Enfield at the moment. Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> Social DRG says, I wonder what Harry does in those pauses. Takes his top off quickly and does a lap of the ship. No, what they're for is um, for YouTube viewers, you won't give a shit. But basically... Um, the podcast goes out on audio platforms as well. And we have uh, some sponsors. So depending on what part of the world you listen uh, from, you will get an advert in those little breaks. Um, so some territories in the world get them depending on where that advertiser is advertising. Others don't. So you'll just hear that little sting and it comes back. But we do have some sponsors who are uh, slotting in adverts in those in those little sections, which is why I've got to put them in. Uh, no running around with my top off. I can assure you that. <laughs> uh what else have we got in the chat box um amira says if we drop lacquer would you play 4-4-2 with pepe and odegaard pepe's our best finisher so he's the most likely to score if you get the ball to him in the box he is uh he is a really good um finisher there's no doubt about that 4-4-2 though not for me um i think one of the important things about the way we've developed is that this press um that we've kind of got is is something we're able to do because of the way we set up and because of the way we're kind of um you know built up and I'll go back to this and I know I used this graphic until it was fucking dead like I know people got sick of it um when I kept using it but I'll bring it up again Arsenal's average positions versus Brentford if you look at this it is very much like a back two and then the fullbacks push on and then you end up with essentially like a five-man midfield and a three-man attack. So it's kind of like a two-five-three is what we have when we're trying to press people. And that is why if you played that with a four-four-two, it doesn't really work because you don't create those overloads in particularly in the wide areas. And there are greater distances between players, which means that the press is less effective. So I think this is the, the point I keep making. Um, when we... 
when we become sort of obsessed with chopping and changing the team, um, you you then take away other elements of the game that maybe not everybody's thinking about at this moment in time. And I don't want, um, I don't want us to do that. I, I don't think that you fix one problem by creating others. I don't think you can overlook the potential of creating other problems when making too many tweaks, too many changes to a system that for the most part has worked. What else we got? Uh, Peeny Ween says, do you miss Emery being our manager on any level? No, <laughs> i got to be honest. Um, i got to be honest. I once asked Unai Emery a question in a press conference and got an answer back that was totally different <laughs> to the question I'd asked. And look, it, it wasn't about the language. Like I, if I tried to speak Spanish, it would be an absolute shit show. So I'd, it's not that. It's just that I felt because the plan wasn't clear to see, because he wasn't able to really get it across, I think that that just led to frustration. And and that, at that point, sort of during my Arsenal fandom, I found it really difficult to kind of feeling, to stay engaged um, with where we were going and what we were doing. So I found that even more difficult than the back end of the Wenger era in terms of feeling engaged, in terms of feeling connected. Uh, because with with Wenger, there was that emotional connection, wasn't there, that had been built up over two decades. So, no, I, I don't miss Unai Emery being our manager, but equally, I don't wish any sort of anything bad on him. Um, you know, I, I, I like to see him successful because I never felt that he was a shit manager. I just felt he wasn't the one for us. Um, so, obviously, to see him be successful elsewhere, I'm happy with that. As long as it ain't with another English club, I haven't got a problem with it. Villarreal. Love Villarreal, love what they've done at that club, love how they've built that club from nothing. They're a really small club um, who are, have been punching above their weight for 10, 15 years now, maybe even longer. And Unai Emery is contributing to that at the moment. They've won a Europa League. I mean, Villarreal, if you had asked a Villarreal fan like 25 years ago whether they'd have won a European title, they'd have laughed at you. So he's played a part and, and a really big role in creating history with that club. And good luck to him, honestly. Uh, no ill feeling towards him. I just don't think he was the right man. I also, this is a good point from Creambone. Um, I miss Emery's suits. At least Emery used to show a bit of respect. You know, he used to come suited and booted. He used to look the business in his press conferences, in his interviews. Mikel Arteta, if he's not wearing that tracksuit at the training ground, he's dressed it casually as if he's going out for a beer with his mates. Respect the club, Mikel. Respect the club. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Okay, uh, we are going to leave it there. Um, we've been going for around about 50 or so minutes. Don't forget to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, join the 47 people that have already hit the like button. There's more than enough of you for us to get the likes count up to at the very least 100. Please do smash that like button. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're new. Help us on the road towards 20K. Check out Football Prizes. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.